Welcome to Walk It Out with Trisha Goyer, where I share inspiring stories of ordinary people who walk out God's Word and discover radical results along the way. Welcome to Walk It Out. I cannot tell you how much today's podcast means to me. But before I do that, I mentioned on last week's podcast that every week I'll be reading an iTunes review and sending out a free book as a thanks. So today's review is from Thompson Trio Mama. She said, Trisha's first episode was great. I love that her first guest is her daughter Maria, sharing her personal story of being in foster care and being adopted into her forever family. I was touched by her story of faith and hope. The sweet connection between mom and daughter is evident throughout the interview. I highly recommend everyone listen to this podcast and look forward to listening to future episodes. So yes, that's episode number one if you want to go back and check it out. Maria's 17, a senior in high school, and I loved having her as a guest. And mostly, I love being her mama and seeing what God is doing in her life. So thank you, Thompson Trio Mama. If you drop a note to Amy at trishagoyer.com, we'll be sure to get one of my books out to you. Also, listeners, if you'd like a chance for a free book, go ahead and head over to iTunes and leave a review. Not only will you get some fun reading in the mail, maybe, but you'll also help others to learn about this podcast. Now, about today's podcast. What I love about doing this podcast is the opportunity to introduce you to some pretty amazing people, if I say so myself. Um, Mostly, amazing stories, too, about how God's Word has impacted people and transformed their lives. And my connection to today's guest is all possible because I read and followed this mandate from Mark 16, 15. And it's a scripture you probably know well, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, growing up, I never had a desire to be a missionary. Now, it's just the honest truth here. In fact, when I was at church, as a little kid, missionaries would come and share their stories, and then afterwards, you know, if you felt called to be a missionary, come forward. I always hoped that I would not feel God's staff on my shoulders that bad that I'm admitting that. But really, honestly, I didn't want to leave my comfort zone. I just wanted to be a wife and a mom, maybe a school teacher. And going into the big world was a scary thing to me at the time. But then God tricked me. Okay, not really. He didn't really trick me. But my first venture into the world was when I joined two writer friends on a research trip to Europe. We did six countries in seven days. They were researching for books. It was an awesome time. I was going for fun, but God had something else in mind. He wanted to show me the needs of others and mostly the needs that others needed him. They needed the truth of the gospel. So at first, our research trip was all exotic foods and souvenir buying and sightseeing until we drove out of the Czech Republic on the day before I was supposed to leave. Now, we were going from the Czech Republic to Austria, and upon exiting the country, I witnessed something that really rocked me to the core. There were young women standing in the misty rain on the side of the road that was leading out of the country. It was just this two-lane country highway And they were wearing these really thin dresses and holding umbrellas. And when I closed my eyes, I could just totally 
picture the moment. And when I asked my European friend who was driving and about it, she told me they were prostitutes and that prostitution was illegal in Austria. But these young women stood around the roads near the borders and they would wait for men to come across the borders and then they would go into the woods, which just really crushed my heart. I couldn't wrap my mind around the fact that these amazing, beautiful young women were having to do that on a daily basis, that this was their life. And those women and the need for God's truth in that country really just stayed on my heart for years. I would pray about the country all the time. I would think about those young women. I would think about the world and um, about taking the gospel to it and about the need of so many people around the world. And when my first three kids um, entered their teen years, I felt the nudge of God to take a mission trip to the Czech Republic. So my husband John and I led the trip. There was 19 people, mostly teenagers. We led the trip to the Czech Republic in 2009, never having been on a mission trip before and raising all our funds for 19 people in like three or four months. Yeah, that's a whole different story um, that we could share about another time. But once we got there, we worked with the mo most amazing Czech church in a small little village called Viso Kemito. And one night during a conversation with the pastor's wife, it came upon the topic of World War II. So I was writing World War II novels at the time as we talked about what, the, what Czechoslovakia had gone through during the war. They had been um, invaded by the Germans. Their country had been taken over. And then, um, the, like in other countries, um, the Jews were rounded up and sent to concentration camps. And there was actually um, a camp called Terezin inside the Czech Republic. And then they were sent to other places like Auschwitz. And so many Jews lost their lives. And as we were talking, um, Gabby, the pastor's wife, gasped. And she said, you have to talk to Thomas Grauman. He was rescued as a young Jewish child when his mother put him on a train and sent him to the United Kingdom in a program that was um, helping to take Jewish children out of the country, hoping to save their lives. So Thomas was saved, but his whole family was killed in the concentration camps. And as Gabby continued to share that night, it was the first time I heard of Nicholas Winton. You might have seen stories about him around the internet. I will put some links to some of those in the show notes. But Nicholas Winton made some efforts. He heard about the plight of the Jewish children, and he really went out of the way to find sponsors, to find funds to get these children out of the country. He was a mere man who heard about the need of these Jewish children who needed to get out, who needed to get to safety, who needed to get away from the German control. And so he rolled up his sleeves and he saved 669 children, including Thomas. Now, at the time that Gabby told me about Thomas, I was busy with book contracts. And then John and I added to that busyness by adopting seven kids. So busy upon busy. But the story of the trains carrying the children out of the Czechoslovakia, out of Czechoslovakia did not leave me. Um, and find Thomas Grauman was on my to-do list for at least the seven years. I just keep adding it to my list and um, it would get pushed down, but really it was been in my mind for a very long time. Then came the moment when everything changed. When thinking about what novel I just had to write next, I usually always ask myself um, if I am going to die next year, I don't know, that sounds kind of morbid, but if I'm going to die next year, what's one novel that I want to write? And this one, this story, just would not leave me. So I ended up getting a contract for two World War II novels, and the second one, um, A Daring Escape, shares this story about the rescue of Czech children out of the country during World War II. 
So A Daring Escape was just published. It's hot off the press and available online or at local Christian bookstores, but writing this book was only the first part of my connection with the story. Just as exciting, or maybe even more exciting, don't tell my publisher, but I found Thomas. Um, Gabby was able to track down his contact information, and out of the blue, I emailed him. I'm an author. I'd love to talk to you. I'm writing a novel about children being rescued during World War II, but I'd also love to write your story. So since May, I've talked to Thomas almost every week. He's 86 years old, and phone conversation by phone conversation, I've been recording his story. Currently, I'm trying to find a publisher, so if you could all pray about that, that would be great. But right now, I want to share Thomas's story with you in his own words. I want you to hear it. It's just so amazing. Um, and I think you'll be amazed by what God did with one young Jewish boy who was rescued twice. First, he was rescued from the grip of the Nazis, and second, by the grip of sin when he accepted Christ as a young boy. But before we jump into Thomas's interview, I want you to encourage you to spend time this week maybe listening to someone else's story, maybe an elderly person in your life. I'm very thankful that my grandma, she lives with us, and I often ask her questions and listen to her story. It's amazing what God has done in the lives of ordinary people. These stories can inspire us if we take the time to listen. So right now, friends, um, I'm so thankful to share my friend Thomas with you. At age of eight, Thomas Grauman excitedly boarded a train to Prague, Czechoslovakia, to embark on what he believed was a three-month holiday. Go to Britain, learn English, and when the Germans leave, you can come home, his mother assured him. Thomas carried two suitcases and a bag of food. At the time, Thomas knew his country had been taken over by the Germans. But his story is one he's going to be sharing next. So welcome, Thomas. Thank you for the opportunity to share my story. I was born in Czechoslovakia um, before the country was divided up. Uh, my parents were both Jews, but we were secular Jews. Um, we didn't have any religious uh, teaching and connection with Judaism. Um, I grew up in a middle-class family, a very comfortable childhood. Uh, when I was six, I think, five or six, I started school in the little village where my parents and family were living at the time. My teacher sent me home at the end of school when the priest came to give Catholic instructions. My teacher sent me home because she knew my family was Jewish. When I got home, my mother sent me right back. Uh, she wanted me to have some religious teaching. Um, when I was seven years old, my mother took me to the city of Brno to attend the theater. As we were approaching the theater, we saw a crowd of thugs walking down the street, hitting Jews, breaking display windows of Jewish shops. Uh, my mother took me to the door of the theater to stand beside the armed guard, and I felt very safe standing beside him. So was that the first time that you knew that um, something was happening with the Germans and the Nazis and that they were targeting the Jews? No. Um, my cousins from Vienna 
came and lived with us while they were waiting for immigration papers to either Australia or uh, the U.S. And they tried to persuade my family to go with them. They got permission for my family to immigrate to Australia with them when they got their Australian papers. Uh, my family wanted to stay in the Czech Republic, in Czechoslovakia. Uh, they felt they were more Czech than many of the Czechs were. Um, that was one of the first times that uh, the subject came up. Um, my mother's brother, Uncle Beda, joined the Czech army, went to London with Dr. Benish and the Czech government in exile, and uh, he advised my family to stay and take care of our family business. Um, and for those for those who may be not familiar, I'll just explain a little bit. This is before the United States joined the war, before Great Britain joined the war. At the time, um, they had uh, Czechoslovakia was um, their own country, and then they're bordered by Germany, and they're bordered by Austria. And um, then Austria was um, annexed by Germany, and also the Sudanland was um, also annexed. So part of um, Czechoslovakia was taken over by Germany. So this is, you know, the, the Czechoslovakia was right in the middle of everything. And, you know, so many people thought, well, well Hitler got what he wants. He got the... Um, parts of our country that he, that he wanted, but really didn't they believe that um, that he would be content with that? Um, going back to the Munich Agreement, uh, Hitler got uh, Britain, France, and Italy to sign his agreement. Uh, the Czechs call it the Munich Dictate mm -hmm. because uh, uh, they were not in on any of the discussion, uh, they just had to give up their land. Uh, there was a two-week time period um, between the Munich Agreement and when all Czechs and Jews had to leave Sudetenland. Uh, about that time, a, a Nazi tank arrived in our village. Um, I was a little boy of seven, mm -hmm. and I was interested in this tank. It was stuck in a hall in front of our house, and soldiers were pushing and pulling this tank. Uh, the officer responsible for this tank decided to live with us, and one of the first things he did, he gathered leaders from Czechoslovakia and delivered to them uh, the German ultimatum uh, to leave Sudetenland immediately. Um, after that, we knew the Nazi occupation had started. Mm -hmm. But you were just a little boy, and you also um, had a little brother. How old or how much younger was your brother? Uh, three years younger. Yeah. So here you are, you know, small boys, and all this is happening around you, and I'm sure it was very hard um, to understand and even hard, like you mentioned, for your parents to know what to do, whether to stay or whether to go. Um, no one could imagine at the time what the Germans and what Hitler had planned. Um, but what happened? What decision did your mother make um, to provide for your safety during this time? Um, 
mother warned us uh, not to look at any of these Nazi soldiers, um, not to have anything to do with the Nazi soldiers, keep very quiet uh, when they are around. Basically, the Nazis came for meals with us, but uh, uh, were very civil in their talking with us. Uh, And what did you first hear about um, the train and how uh, you would be going to the United Kingdom? um, How we heard of the train, I'm not sure. A pastor of uh, an evangelic church over the hill from where we lived had studied in Edinburgh, Scotland, and uh, as far as I know, he made arrangements for me to go on this train. And uh, uh, he made the contact with a pastor he knew in Scotland. And was uh, it the plan for both you and your brother to go on the train? Yeah, we were both going to go, but my brother took sick and someone told him to stay home, get well. There'd be another train next month. The next month there was a train scheduled to leave, September 1939. But that was when Hitler invaded Poland. The borders around Czechoslovakia were closed, and there was no more opportunity to leave. Mm -hmm. There are different stories about what happened. Some of the Winton children say that they went to the railway station in Prague, Wilson Station, and uh, there were soldiers there who told them to go home. Uh, The station was closed. There are some other stories that they were put on this train. The train left and uh, disappeared. Uh, but there are some people who were on that train. Um, there was one lady who joined us on the 70th anniversary train who said that she was put on that train. She didn't want to go to Britain. Her mother wanted her to go to Britain. She wanted to go to Israel. She had a visa to go to Israel. Her aunt was already in Israel, and uh, she was very happy to be able to go to Israel instead of England. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, she claims to have been on that train, and as far as she knows, she's the only one of the 151 children who survived. Including, you believe your brother was on that train? Um, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, he was still with my mother when he was sent to concentration camp. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk more about that and how you heard the news. But tell us a little bit about the train that you were on. Um, I saw happy children playing on a train. Other people remember children crying and holding on to their parents, not wanting to be separated from their parents. I I wasn't aware of the crying of children. I wasn't aware that there were adults supervising us in my little compartment. I don't think there were any adults. Uh, I do remember adults coming around 
when we reached Hook of Holland, telling us to get out. Many of the Winton children remember getting bread and cups of hot chocolate when the train crossed the border into Holland. I don't remember that. Mm -hmm. I think I slept a lot of the time we were on the train. Tell us a little bit about the moment, even before you got on the train, um, at the train station. You really had no idea at the time, did you, that that would be the last time that you saw your mother and your grandmother? No. I I was told a couple of things that uh, I remember. One was go to England, learn English. Maybe when you grow up, you can represent your father's shoe company in London. And the other thing was, Uh, go to England, learn English. In two or three months, Hitler will be gone, and you can come home. Mm -hmm. Through World War II, we carefully watched the news. Uh, We saw news reported in the newspaper. We didn't have television. We had radio, and on the radio, we heard BBC reports of every battle with lists of casualties and deaths. We heard the same battle reported by the Nazi propaganda, and um, uh, the numbers were totally different. Both BBC and Nazi propaganda claimed that their country won each battle, so we didn't know what really was happening. Mm. And I'm sure just being such a young boy, um, it's so confusing. You know, you go to a different country. You mentioned you ended up in Scotland and you don't understand the language. And at first you were with a pastor's family, but that didn't uh, last very long because he got called away. Tell us a little bit about um, the person that took you in and and the home that you found in Scotland. Mary Hislop Carson was uh, a teacher in a mission school in Jaffa, what was then Palestine. She came home for the summer and was unable to return. There was uh, no boat going through the uh, Mediterranean Sea at that time. She decided to stay home. She offered to take a couple of girls to come and live with her. She was a teacher of home economics, and uh, uh, girls would be very good to train in domestic things. She saw the picture of two little girls from the city of Prague. Their applications were accepted. Everything was ready. So it was time to put the girls on the train. And both parents were pediatricians and felt they couldn't put their kids on a train and send them away for some stranger to take care of. Mary Carson was asked, would you take two boys instead of the two girls? And she said, I don't know if I can take care of two boys. I'll try for a month. At the end of the month, she wrote, I'm doing okay. I'll try for another month. I didn't know anything about this agreement. Uh, I just went, and when we were offered food, we ate. Uh, Food was quite different. Um, Everything in the house was different. Mm -hmm. Um, In Czechoslovakia, 
we had electricity in Mary Carson's house. Uh, there were candles and paraffin lamps. Uh, no electricity till after World War II. Um, the village school was next door to Mary Carson's house. Uh, we were told to walk round the path, not to climb the wall over into the schoolyard. Um, there, I listened to lessons. Um, I played with kids during break time, um, made friends with the kids in the village, and so learned English. Mm-hmm. And it was also during that time um, that you started to get some special Bible teaching too. Tell us a little bit about those that Bible teaching and then how that really changed your life. Mary Carson had a strict Presbyterian home where uh, the Bible was read every day, uh, prayer before all meals. Um, we walked to the village church, um, no travel by transportation on a Sunday, no shopping on a Sunday, not even any cooking or lighting of fires on a Sunday. They considered Sunday as the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Uh, after I, oh, before that, uh, at the other end of the village, there was another born-again Christian who invited us for afternoon tea every Sunday, so Mary Carson would get uh, um, her Sunday afternoon free. There we learned Bible verses and learned to sing Christian choruses. Helen Forbes' friends across the bridge into North Connell were related to an evangelist, Richard Hudson Pope. He worked for an organization, Children's Special Service Mission. He specialized in um, beach evangelism for children where they made sand castles and explained the gospel. He came and stayed for several weeks with his sister. He conducted children's meetings after school and on weekends in several different venues in the area. All the children went there because that was about the only activity uh, happening at that time. There, I heard the gospel slowly and clearly explained. I heard that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, and that there is no other way to come to God except through Jesus. I learned that God was righteous and holy, and everyone else is a sinner and needs to come to God for cleansing from their sin, needs to repent of their sin and ask for God's forgiveness and the blood of Jesus Christ. God's Son would cleanse us from all sin. The the verse that impressed me was from John's Gospel where Jesus said that no one can come to God except through him and he that comes in Jesus' name will never be turned away. So if this was the only way and no one who came would be rejected, I thought it was worth a try. I bowed my head, prayed into my heart, into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. 
When I received Jesus Christ as Savior, the evangelist told me, to grow spiritually, you need to read the Bible every day. Part of his mission was a scripture union, an organization that encouraged people to read the same verses from the Bible every day, uh, the same used in countries all over the world. I started reading the Bible, and I grew spiritually. And I know that rather quickly you made the decision, too, of what you wanted to do with your future. Can you tell us a little bit about that? As I read through the scriptures, I came to Exodus 13, where God wanted the firstborn of every Jewish family to belong to him, to be redeemed and serve him. I felt that God wanted me to be a missionary. I um, I read numerous missionary books, and I was impressed with some of the things I read there. Um, our friends were very interested in worldwide evangelization crusade, and their founder, Charles T. Studd, said, among other things, if Jesus Christ is God and died for me, there is no sacrifice to, too great to make for him. I was brought up on the stories of David Livingston. Um, when I left Connell Ferry and started training to become a nurse, I was in a hospital very close to where David Livingston was born and where there is uh, a museum of things that he used in presenting the gospel mm. to African tribal people. And I love how just at a young age you accepted Christ, um, so humbly asked him to be with you and come into your heart to stay and then, um, you know, had this plan for your future. Um, but you were still, you know, far from your family. You didn't know at that time when you were just a young boy what was happening to them. Um, I know you started to get letters at first, but then they came less frequently. When did you um, first hear about what had happened to your family? I was uh, at a boys' summer camp when uh, it was explained to me. Mary Carson probably received the letter before that, but um, uh, felt she wasn't able to explain this to me. She sent the letter to the leader of the interschools Christian camp, and um, he explained what happened, and uh, he explained my uncle's letter. My uncle Beda had been in London in the Czech army. He uh, went back with Dr. Benish and the Czech government in exile, and when he checked, his wife and two boys all died at Auschwitz concentration camp. He married his second wife and uh, he wrote this letter to me saying all of our family who remained in Czechoslovakia during the Holocaust died in concentration camp. Uh, there's no one left of our family. Um, that was when I heard about it. And having followed the news carefully, we knew about what was going on. We had heard about uh, concentration camps. No one believed these were possible. 
but uh, slowly it became very evident that stories that had been right were for real. Mm-hmm. And it, it, most of the Czechs, Jews um, in Czechoslovakia were killed in concentration camps, and um, the estimates are about 200, was it 260,000 um, Czech Jews lost their lives? Um, I know of 80,000 names on the walls of the Pinkas uh, mm-hmm. Synagogue in Prague. Yes. Uh, as I traveled in the Czech Republic, in many schools, I met people who said, my grandmother was Jewish. Um, I'm an atheist. Mm-hmm. Um, there probably are more people returning to the Czech Republic that have Jewish roots. Yes. Um, but uh, there are very few professing a connection with Judaism who have returned to Czechoslovakia. Yes. Now, you mentioned before deciding to become a missionary and um, going to nursing school, and I know that you did become a missionary. Can you tell us a little bit about where uh, you became a missionary? I went to the Philippine Islands. I wanted to preach the gospel where Christ was not named, and uh, I heard through prayer meetings for Overseas Missionary Fellowship that uh, they were looking for an international team to send to the island of Mindoro in the Philippine Islands. Uh, They told us within five to ten years this island will be taken over by the communists the way they took over China. You have five to ten years to evangelize these tribes. We were part of a mission team uh, reaching um, six tribes. It was thought at first that there were 12 tribes, but uh, uh, it really came down to six tribes. And uh, the missionaries who started this ministry had worked in China among the Chinese, and they found the tribal people on the island of Mindoro, very timid, uh, not like the fierce people in West Chinese uh, mountains. Um, They were not like the Filipino tribal people on the main island of Luzon, who were known for murdering people. The people on the island of Mindoro were roughly divided into these six tribes by rivers and mountain ranges. Um, The most northerly tribe, the Iraya, um, claimed to speak Tagalog, the national language of the Philippines. So to start work among them, we had a Bible and a songbook that we inherited from missionaries working among Tagalog-speaking people on other islands. Tagalog is the national language of the Philippines, basically. Um, The other tribes had to reduce these languages to writing, translate, and uh, be able to teach people. Usually they taught in Tagalog on the way to learning uh, the tribal languages. And how many years were you a missionary in the Philippines? I was there for eight years, 
with a year of uh, home assignment in between. Mm-hmm. And you uh, met and married your wife there. Yeah. And then I know you later um, moved to the States, and you have uh, four children. Um, we went uh, to the Philippines expecting to be there for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. So we came home for a year. I wanted to do some more Bible study so that I could better teach at the tribal Bible school. We had been married for four years and had no children. Our doctor did tests and proved that it would be very unlikely that we could have any children. Uh, We prayed, went back to uh, Scotland, England, traveled across the states until we reached Santa Cruz, California. We heard there was no social worker in Santa Cruz, but there was one in San Francisco, and the next Saturday would be given to interviews with people wanting to adopt children. We went there, had a long interview, and at the end of the interview we asked, could we have two children rather than one? And uh, the social worker was very kind to us, and ten weeks after our first interview, we picked up two three-month-old babies born to two different mothers in two different hospitals in San Francisco, but brought up in the same foster home for their first three months. Uh, Shortly after we received the children, we discovered that Caroline was pregnant. She thought she was sick when we picked up our babies from social services, put on a mask so she wouldn't infect the new babies, but uh, it was morning sickness instead of being sick. So you were very busy for a while <laughs> with with three yeah. babies. <laughs> I was in the U.S. on a British passport with uh, extensions of a visitor's visa. I could not work. Caroline had to go to work, and uh, I did my best with the children. Um, so at the end of our first year with the children, uh, Dan was born, and uh, two years later, Paul was born, which proved that uh, the prognosis was not <laughs> very accurate. Yeah. Um, with four children, sickness along the way, uh, we found mission boards didn't want to risk sending us to a foreign country. We tried numerous ways to get back to the field, but it never worked. Um, but we're gonna, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because um, I love how God did use you, and he used you um, after your career, after raising your children, um, and he used you to return you to your home country. Of now it's called the Czech Republic. Um, can you tell us how you ended up in the Czech Republic after all those years? Um, about 1990, I got a letter from my cousin Hansa, born to my uncle Beda after World War II. He said, grandmother's house has been returned to the family. Uh, we'd like to sell it. Do you agree? 
will put half of the uh, money we get for the house into a bank account for you. Uh, we found an ad for a flight to Frankfurt, Germany, and we discovered there was train connection from Frankfurt to Prague. We took a quick trip, recognized the buildings we had uh, lived in. We got contact with uh, a few relatives, and we visited um, Prague, Brno, the little village of Cheshane, Brno, uh, Budapest, and uh, Vienna. Um, when we came home, I decided uh, I wanted to do something in my retirement for the people of Czechoslovakia. Several people said, go and teach English. The Czechs want to learn English. Um, the Czech embassy in Washington, D.C., gave me several addresses, and one of them was uh, Education for Democracy. Education for Democracy offered opportunities for native speakers of American English to go to the Czech Republic and teach. All they needed was a, uh, a year of university, and uh, they needed a one-week orientation, which this organization gave in Piestani, Slovakia. I applied. I signed a contract for six months and did the orientation course, found the orientation was mainly in uh, how to drink various kinds of alcohol, <laughs> um, a little bit about the history and culture of the Czech Republic. Many of the things that they taught us weren't relevant. They told us Czechs don't eat any fruit or vegetables. They just eat meat and dumplings and sauerkraut. Uh, I was assigned to stay with a, a family that had an orchard and garden. <sighs> and uh, there was always fruit and vegetables uh, every day uh, in their meals. Uh, this family I stayed with, um, the lady Elena Petuchkova, wanted uh, to improve her English so she could teach children. Um, she was an avid mountaineer and uh, uh, gathered uh, mushrooms various kinds of mushrooms uh, in the forests every year. <clears throat> uh, learn to eat all kinds of mushrooms. Mm. And I know while you were there, it really opened the door um, for you later to go into schools and to, to share your story. Um, um, I got to know uh, Samuel Hurst uh, in the city of Zlin, the home of the Batya company. Um, he invited me several times to come to Sweden. Once he arranged for me to go to schools in that city area, and I had 19 appointments within two weeks, uh, and he recommended me to share my story with uh, an organization, part of uh, Josiah Venture, uh, called exit tour. We went to schools with uh, an American uh, rock band, Christian rock band, and a number of 
presenters who presented uh, educational material on uh, uh, ethical subjects. He told me, uh, you can share your story, but don't say anything about Jesus and the Bible during school time. Invite students to an afternoon and evening activity where we're in a neutral place and can present the gospel there. I said um, the gospel is part of my story. I, I can't tell my story without putting Jesus in there. Um, they had some doubts about this, but uh, they found we could do it very easily. Um, there were no objections to presenting the gospel as part of my story. And since then, there were some others who clearly presented the gospel in schools. Um, one German lady had been a prostitute. Her life had been changed, and when she told her story, um, she invited kids to come forward and pray to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Mm. Um, what I love about the, what God has done is that you know, you leave the country as a young boy, um, uncertain of what is going to be happening. And then after the um, fall of communism and the Czech Republic is again its own country, um, there are so many young people who are raised um, and their parents were raised with atheism and not hearing about God. And then because of your story, you're able to go in, you know, telling as a young Jewish boy leaving the country as a strong Christian man being able to come back into the country and share your story um, with young people is just a, a testimony of what God can do. Um, can you just share a little bit? I know you went back and forth for many years speaking in schools and sharing your story there. Can you tell about the last time um, that you were in Brno and the, um, the event that they put on for you there? The year before Caroline was sick most of her time in the Czech Republic. We decided that she would stay home and I would go back and say goodbye in 2015. The highlight was a session in my hometown of Brno. They had uh, the city theater booked uh, with uh, cooperation with the city of Brno and um, uh, 700 students from different schools in the city came to hear my story. Um, this meeting was emceed by uh, one, one of the interviewers from uh, Czech National Radio. Um, they were looking for someone to sing the national anthem, and they met a young uh, conductor, and uh, he said, wouldn't you like a choir of 31 voices and 30 instruments to come and do that? Uh, my coordinator asked, how much is it going to be? Uh, he said, it's free. We're amateurs. And he brought his choir and orchestra, played the national anthem and uh, some music out of uh, Schindler's List, I think it is. 
uh, I had the opportunity of telling my story. We had a few questions after. Uh, there were apparently uh, some people who were not sympathizers with uh, the Jews. And one of the questions I was asked was, what do you think of Hitler? So I said, if Hitler had left the scene in 1938, he would have been known as uh, a great builder of Germany. He built roads, he built up the army, he made Germany powerful after the defeat of World War I. He overcame uh, the money crisis. He did many wonderful things for Germany. But I said, my family died because of what Hitler did in the Holocaust. Uh, I'm biased in what I think of Hitler. And that was well received mm-hmm. by a, a pro-Nazi. Now, God has just used you so much from that young boy and becoming a missionary and all the people that you impacted there. And um, your story just shows how God can turn beauty from truly ashes and through truly a hard situation. Um, and I know there are many people out there that have struggles in their lives, that have um, pain, who have lost family, whose life hasn't turned out how they had hoped or planned. How has God and how has God's word um, really impacted you? And what hope do you have for someone who may be struggling today? Oh, all the way through my life, I've been reading the Bible and I have grown Spiritually, um, there have been high points. There have been many low points. Uh, I have learned to trust in God. Uh, as I have gone through, I have been unsuccessful in so many ways. It was uh, a big surprise when I had the opportunity to go to school after school and tell my story. Um In many schools, I saw children and their teachers wiping tears from their eyes. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, I'm very thankful for the opportunities the Lord has given, and I'm learning to be content with where I am and how my life has turned out. Yeah. Now, there's one last um, part of the story that I want to share I want you to share. Tell us about how you found out. Um, we know your, you know, your ultimate rescuer is Jesus Christ, but tell us about how you found out about Nicholas Winton and um, how um, he, he was part of rescuing so many children from Czechoslovakia. We were listening to Czech TV news. We didn't understand enough Czech to know what they said, but we saw this old gentleman meeting younger, older people, and they all showed the same kind of travel document as I had. I knew nothing about Nicholas Winton at that time. That was about 1998, um, maybe a year or two earlier. Um, Several of our friends asked if I was at that meeting with Nicholas Winton, and I knew nothing about it. But my cousin worked for uh, production department of 
Czech TV, and through him I got an address for Nicholas Winton and a phone number for Matej Maynard, the film producer of a documentary about Nicholas Winton. Uh, I was invited to Bratislava for filming out of three hours of filming there's less than one minute of me on <laughs> the documentary film The Power of Good, but it got me on the film. It got my name in the credits at the end of the film. I got a phone call from Jan Otsrachil. He told me he had been my friend before World War II, uh, that uh, he was sick at the time of my eighth birthday, and uh, he had a card from my mother, which I had co-signed saying we were sorry he missed my birthday party because he was sick um, and through him I got a copy of my mother's last will. Um, I met Nicholas Winton when the film was completed and shown in uh, Prague Theatre and Nicholas Winton was there on the platform and uh, we were able to meet him after the uh, showing of the film when there were some refreshments offered. That was the first time I met him, met him again when they had a a big reception for him at uh, Prague, Uh, met him when the 70th anniversary train arrived in London. He was sitting on the platform waiting for us to arrive, and he said, I'm glad to see you after 70 years. Mm -hmm. Don't wait so long before you come to see me again. (laughs) And I want want you to share a little bit more about Nicholas Winton, but I know that there is something in your mother's will um, that surprised you. What did she say that she hoped for your future? It surprised me when she said, don't give my boys to their father or their stepfather. Neither of these men love the boys. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, she said, have my boys brought up in an evangelic home? I didn't know she had that much commitment to the evangelic church. Um, she said, have Tommy, that was me, uh, brought up to be a preacher or missionary of Tony brought up to be an engineer. Um, Before leaving the Czech Republic, I met a lady who lived over the hill from where we used to live. She said she remembered my mother attending the evangelic church in her town. She remembered my mother coming to church in a horse and carriage, beautifully dressed, and spending a lot of time talking to her preacher. Mm -hmm. Uh, She said she was very jealous of my mother because she was so nicely dressed and spent so long with uh, the pastor. But when she heard that uh, they were all sent to concentration camp, she was very sorry for her jealousy. Mm -hmm. It just, I bet it means so much to know that your mother had wanted you to be either a a preacher or a missionary, just to know that you had fulfilled that. Now, how many children um, did Nicholas Winton save? Uh, As far as we understand, 
669. Mm-hmm. And what was your number? Because I know every child had a number um, when uh, they boarded the train. Five, let me see. Was it 652, I think you told me? Yeah, 652. Mm-hmm. So you really were one of the last ones that made it out of the country. My number was 652. There were 15 went on a special flight to Sweden, and uh, uh, that leaves two more between me and the end of the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm so thankful um, for what Nicholas Winton did. I'm so thankful for those who shared Christ with you as a young boy, and I'm so thankful how you have continued to spread the gospel. And I know any opportunity you have, you love sharing what Jesus has done in your life. Now, how old are you now, Thomas? I'm 86. 86, and you're going to have a birthday soon, aren't you? Uh, January. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's just around the corner. Yeah, and we, um, for my listeners out there, Thomas and I are working on a book. We're looking for a publisher. Um, or we might just publish it ourselves. We're just going to get this out there because I think <laughs> this story is so amazing. And I heard about um, Thomas and I heard about his story when we were on a missionary trip in the Czech Republic in a little town of Visa Kemito. And um, I just searched for him that we were able to find contact information. And I know we've been talking um, for months and I've been working on his story. And I just know it's a story that has blessed me so much. And I know that has blessed my listeners too. So thank you, Thomas, again, um, for sharing your story and um, just being willing to, to continue to share what Christ has done for you. Thank you for the opportunity to talk with you. Okay, friends, wasn't that amazing? Wow, I'm just so thankful for Thomas. I'm so thankful that I was able to connect with him. I'm so thankful that I can call him a friend and that God is entrusting me with his story. What I love is the transformation that God's Word made on his young life. At eight years old, he was living in a foreign country without his mother, without his brother, without the rest of his family, and yet God's Word gave Thomas a hope and a mission and a passion that he carried for all of his life and that he still carries. He still will go and speak to any group, any church group, um, talk to anyone who is willing to listen. He just loves sharing what God has done in his life. So if you want to read a fictionalized version of the rescue of Czech Jewish children during World War II, remember to please check out my novel, A Daring Rescue. It's available from Harvest House Publishers, and it's a brand new release, hot off the press. The links are in the show notes, or you can find more information at trishagoyer.com. Also, if you'd like to hear more about the story about how God led my family to the Czech Republic and my daughter's uh, Leslie's missionary story and her work there, pick up a copy of my October release, Walk It Out. In there, there's a whole chapter that shares the behind the scenes on the story, our connection to the Czech Republic, including the miraculous story of how God provided $10,000 overnight to fend my daughter's first year there as a missionary. Yes, it's a amazing story. When I travel and speak, um, people just gasp when they hear about God's provision. Um, so you check it out and walk it out. And I'm able to share that story there. Um, but even more than that, if you want your life forever impacted, do like Thomas did and like I did, pick up God's word. Make it a daily discipline, not only to read God's word, but to obey it. 
doing that has changed Thomas's life. It's changed my daughter Leslie's life. It's changed my life all in wonderful and amazing ways. In the show notes, there's also information about my Walk It Out scripture reading journey that I lead in a private Facebook group, and we'd love for you to join us. Uh, we read five chapters, five days a week. Right now, um, we are still in the Old Testament, but there's a downloadable PDF that you can print up and use, and you can share your thoughts also in the private Facebook group. So there's more information about that in the show notes, too. You can look at, or you can search on Facebook for Walk It Out Scripture Reading Journey. Also, this week's Walk It Out Scripture reminds us that followers of God's call, um, God doesn't call us to be good and to act right, and just to have that ex exterior um, change, but really, there, even though there is a process of sanctification of Christ changing us to be more like Him, the change isn't just for us. Jesus wants our change to impact others. He wants us to be carriers of His gospel into the world. And so John twenty twenty one says, Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And that's our Walk It Out Scripture of the Week. So as Thomas' story shares, God can do amazing things with those who step out and share the gospel of Christ with others. He can use our story to impact the lives of others for God's glory. As always, you can find more information about me on my website, which is just trishagoyer.com, and know that you can find me on any social media sites like Facebook or Twitter or Instagram under Trisha Goyer. Finally, friends, I'd really appreciate it if you tell your friends about this podcast and encourage them to listen. Subscribe to the podcast and ask others to do this the same. As you know, this podcast was sponsored by my book, Walk It Out, published by David C. Cook. David C. Cook is a non-profit publisher spreading God's word in over 100 countries. Check out Walk It Out. It'll be a wonderful, inspiring book to start off your new year. Finally, thank you, and I pray that you will be blessed this week. Today's podcast was edited and produced by Author Media. Opening and closing music is from the song Wide Open Space by Life Worship, used with permission from Integrity Music.